righty. Let's take our Bibles tonight and turn to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to spend a little bit of time in Philippians 3 as we continue talking about identity. Did we, Evelyn, did you get the Spanish one? All right, great. All right. So as you get to Philippians chapter 3, let's recap everything we've been talking about. We're six lessons in to this study on identity. And so we've spoken for the last few weeks about a lot of the problems with what's wrong with the way people uh, view identity. And so to look at the terms on the middle of your front page of your handout, you see there identity, we define it as the deepest idea of who you are. It's the story you tell yourself about yourself. It's usually validated by two voices, internal, what I think about myself, and external, but what are other people saying about me? Now, identity formation, it's all about trust. What do we believe? Who do we depend on? How are we forming this? And we said there were two, two human attempts at understanding identity. And these are a bit of oversimplifications, but it's helpful to think of it this way. Traditionally, a traditional identity paradigm says, well, others define me, my culture, my society, my family, opinions of the outside, what are these expectations? That's, and then I will fulfill those expectations and then I'll have a sense of my meaning, my value, my purpose. And then the modern idea is, well, you need to throw off that tradition, but what do we replace it with? Well, we replace it with self-definition, defin self-discovery, self-identification. And that has not corrected, and we said there were some problems with the traditional identity view, but the modern view has not corrected it, it's only made it worse. So uh, modern people struggling to really understand who they are. But then we get, uh, and we've obviously talked about it each week, but tonight we really focus on the components of a gospel-shaped identity or a jesus shaped identity. And one thing we learned last week was that the gospel is not, it's not like the starting point of Christianity where, okay, we, we understood that Jesus died for us. We understood that he rose again. We believe that. So we're saved. And so some people, um, some people get this mentality that, well, my Christian life started with the gospel, but then I move on. And then I and then I move on to, to other things. And what happens often is people move on to trying to live their Christian life through their own effort. Whereas the gospel, if you remember the quote, it's not the door, it's not just the door to our salvation, but the ocean that we swim in was the illustration where all of my Christian experience goes back to the fact that I am redeemed. That's the power of Christ in me. That it is, I'm, I'm dead to who I used to be, and I'm alive in Christ, and I have the power of the Holy Spirit. That right there changes everything. It's a bit of a paradigm shift. It's a bit of a new perspective. Whereas, um, I think that's something that, that is a subtle difference for a lot of Christians, where they get into a, well, yes, a saved by grace mentality, but then live by works. Saved by grace, live by works. No, it's the grace that empowers the new life of works in Christ. And that's, that's something to meditate on and think about. Now, so back to, the, back to the idea, though, tonight. So let's continue on underneath the terms. It's this little quote from the book. Weak identities flow from bad news. But you have to do for yourself. 
But a gospel identity flows from good news, what Jesus did for you. And of course, that's the whole essence of stop trying. It's not about us. It's about Christ. So with that in mind, go to the very top and let's look at these two verses that we want to open with that, that really speak about this gospel identity. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Let's do this tonight because I'm sure it's been a long day for many of you. Let's read this out loud together, these two verses. 2 Corinthians 5 17. Let's muster up all the energy and enthusiasm you think you've got left. And if you've run out, look, dig deep for just a little bit more. And let's try to get this together. We'll read it together. It's on your handout. It's on the screen. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 begin. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Then Philippians 1 and verse 6. Philippians 1, 6 begin. Ready? Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So thinking about these two verses, just give me some quick uh, observations as this relates to our identity. Give me some observations from these two verses to get a little bit of discussion going tonight. First observation, yes, sir. Right, good point. So that, that what we said earlier, that our salvation is a is yes, we were saved at a moment in time, once and for all, but there is a process of salvation for the rest of our lives. We continue to be saved each and every day. He that began a good work will perform it. How else do these verses speak to us in, in this study? How else do they relate? What are thoughts that come to mind as you look at these verses? Yeah. And we don't, that's interesting too. There's a change in us. We need to experience it. We don't affect it. We, it we, so in other words, effect it. We don't, we're not the ones that cause the change. It's Jesus that causes the change. We are to experience it. We're not the cause of it. We, we receive it. Yeah, that's good. Some, something else that you notice in these past, this passage or either of these verses. God is doing, one is they won't yield to it, like they'll actively fight against it. Like God is trying to do, or God, not, I was, I don't like that, that God is trying to do, because God doesn't, God always succeeds in what he sets, sets out to accomplish. But God has a desired outcome for our lives if we would simply yield them. So some people are actively resisting that transformation. But then I think there's other people are actively trying to create it themselves. So they don't necessarily have the spirit of rebellion to say, no, God, I don't want your way. I think there's another group of people, they have the spirit, not of rebellion, but the spirit of self-righteousness. 
which says, okay, now I can do this. I will accomplish, I, I will, and it results in a, um, in the form of godliness without the power. It results in trying to live out the Christian life in your own efforts. Both of those people end up failing, but the one looks better to us. Would you, would you agree with that? Like, we're like, well, this person is actively rebelling. Uh, it's like the older brother and the younger brother in the prodigal son story, right? The old brother and the younger brother. The younger brother, we're like, ugh, you know? That's, but the older brother, some people sympathize with the older brother. Like, there was a famous preacher of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. He had a whole message where he talked about how he liked the, the, the older brother. And I was, it's like you listen to it and you're like, you know, like the whole point of the passage, Jesus is teaching you, don't be the older brother. Pharisee, you are the older brother. But we, we like, in our flesh, we like the activity of the older brother, right? Well, look what he's doing. He stayed home. He did the work. But, but the older brother, who was he really, was he living for the father? Who was he living for? He's living for himself. His own, there's an identity structure right there. What he thought of himself, who he thought he was, the rights that he had come into because of his good behavior, because of his good conduct. So I think those are fair. But if we come back to this verse, there is a good work to be done. There is a good work to be done, but it's Jesus who performs it. All right, great. Anybody, how about on 2 Corinthians 5.17? Any thoughts on the, the, the first verse, 2 Corinthians uh, 5 and verse 17? Obviously, it's a very, like, straightforward verse. If you're in Christ, old things are passed away, all things become new. But any observations on how this relates to everything we've been discussing for the last few weeks? Well, you've got to change your identity. Actually, in many of us, well, let's, let's back it up a little bit. Do you? No. Well, you become a new creature in Christ, and so your activities, your language, everything about you begins to change. I Yes, but your first statement, though, you have to change your identity. No, it changes your uh, identity. There you go. Exactly. But, but that's, that's important, because the gospel is not reformation. And I know you know that, because you've already said that. I just, it's a, it's, but it's a careful use of the words. We don't change. You are something about creation. What does the what kind of involvement does the creature have in creation? Zero. None, right? Creature is. Now, of course, we know we have to believe. That's our part. We we receive the gift of grace. But once we receive by faith, we are a creature. We are created. We are a new creation in Christ. He's the one that makes us somebody new. Any other thoughts on that? Any man being Christ is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Um, I think it's still something that you always struggle with, with your expectations on new Christians, on older Christians, on yourself. Because it's, we are conditioned to try to make changes in our lives to make us better. Right. We want to be healthier. We want to do things better. Right. Um, so is it wrong? So let's think about this thing because that's I. This is something I've always struggled with. Like, un, like, because it's is it wrong for us to desire to be better Christians? Is that a wrong desire? No. 
Of course not. In fact, we should desire to be better Christians. It's then, what do we do with that desire? Where do we go with that desire? When we say, I want to I want to be a better Christian, I want to, well, then it goes back to, well, Lord, you're doing a good work in me. What are you trying to accomplish right now? Let me surrender to you. So, some, and sometimes you realize that the actions are exactly the same, but the motives are sometimes different, or the reliance is different. In other words, as we sing the song, we used to sing the song with kids, read your Bible, pray every day. Every day, pray every day, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Great song, right? Great truth. But if you read your Bible, pray every day, will you automatically grow, grow, grow? No. The Pharisees read their Bibles, pray every day. They didn't grow, grow, grow. However, if you're walking in the Spirit, and you don't read your Bible, it, like, you can't... It's like you can, you can read your Bible and pray without walking in the Spirit, but you can't walk in the Spirit without reading your Bible and praying, right? It's not, it, it's, it's a, so that's a very subtle shift, but it's about our relationship with the Lord. It's about our dependence. It's about being filled with the Spirit and doing those same actions. So you could, you could literally be doing the same actions, but it's not the actions. It's not like exercising so much. It's not like, all right, I do this thing and it just is going to build my muscles. No, because it's the Holy Spirit that builds our spiritual muscles. So we have to read in the Spirit. We have to pray in the Spirit. We have to depend in the Spirit. This is the whole identity ch change, that I am in Christ. And so that those of us who live in the Spirit, he says in Galatians, if you live in the Spirit, then you also walk in the Spirit. If we've been given new life in Christ and been given the Holy Spirit, we have this daily dependence on Him. What were you going to say? It's really similar, actually, because you can't just do the exercises. You have to eat the proper food as well. Oh, yeah. And the Spirit can be likened to the food. And yeah, my fitness analogies run out about now. You know? <laughs> so, but you're right. All right. Okay, any other thoughts on these passages? Okay, now what I want you to do is go to a couple, if you're in Philippians, go to chapter 3. And so we've looked at Peter a lot. We looked at the woman at the well, the Samaritan one, last week. We're going to look at the Apostle Paul tonight because the Apostle Paul had a radical, radical identity transformation when he came to Christ. I mean... I don't know if there is a more stark example. And so what's, we have this amazing passage of Scripture where we see inside that transformation. If we didn't have Philippians chapter 3, we would see, uh, we would see Paul's transformation from the outside. And it would be powerful. We would see who he used to be and then who he became. We'd see that we still would have the, the road to Damascus experience. We'd have all these amazing things from persecutor to preacher, you know, from murderer to missionary. We'd have all of those things. But Philippians chapter 3, he gives us a glimpse of his transformation from the inside out. How the gospel really changes a person's identity. So let's, I want to read the whole passage, and then we'll, we'll make some observations. So, please, we'll read it slowly and deliberately. And so please make notes or underline some words or think about, as we read it slowly, 
get ready to have some discussion about this as we dive in here. So Philippians 3, and we will begin in verse number 3. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. The context here is the Jewish people coming up against the Christians and they're bragging about, well, we are the true circumcision. We are the true people of God. And Paul says, well, if you really want to talk about who is the people of God, it's the people who worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. So where, what do we already see is some identity shifting here going on? Real quick, where do we already see the identity shifting conversation starting here or ideas starting? Yep. Okay, sure. Where else? Yeah, no confidence in the flesh. There's no confidence in the flesh. So that that deals with both a modern identity and a, and a traditional identity. Actually, I think you have modern and traditional identity views here at the same time because you're dealing with a very traditional group, which is the Pharisees. But then Paul also says he has no confidence. He's going to say that he has no confidence even in his own flesh. So here we go. Verse number four. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath where he might trust in the flesh, I more. I more. So in other words, if anybody could brag about their human abilities and accomplishments, Paul says what? I can, you want to have a bragging competition? <laughs> I can go up there with the best of you, he says. I've got more reason to have confidence in myself. Cir verse 5. Circumcise the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, though I counted loss for Christ? Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind 
and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. All right. Who, who has got some things that you were able to mark down as we work through this? Some observations, some thoughts as it pertains to this gospel identity and Paul's transformation. Take a minute to kind of go through and relook at it once more, scan it maybe. What really stood out to you? I give everybody just a minute. We don't don't feel rushed to answer. Take a look. Find anything you think you could share that stood out to you, and then in just a minute we'll we'll go around to what everybody's come up with. says that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, that's the great part, but also he said the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Like that is not like, it's not an identity marker identification that people would naturally go after. It's just like I'll share his resurrection, I share in his sufferings and his death. Interesting. What else do we notice here in the, throughout the Throughout the passage, other things that stood out. Right. And think about, like, how accomplished that he was. Like, I mean, really, like, if you were just looking at his resume. Would you ever imagine that somebody like this would walk away from all of that to follow Jesus? Like, just put it in a modern, like, if this was a modern person, what would their resume look like? What would they be like? Right? Yeah. Wait, what were you going to say, Jim? Well, I was thinking about this. In modern times, he would have been somebody that would have gone through Harvard or MIT, right, and, and excelled at the top of the class. 
he would have been uh, he would have he would have been somebody that spoke on TED Talks. He would have been somebody that was interviewed on the news. Like really, like that is the level. Like if you're making a cultural, if you're making a cultural like crossover comparison, he'd be interviewed on the news. He'd be quoted in articles. He would have millions of Facebook of social media followers and Twitter followers. He would be highly, highly regarded and accomplished. He also would have had his whole like livelihood would have been cared for. We know that the Pharisees lived they lived very comfortably. I don't know that we would say that they were wealthy per se, but they were they were well they had a good life from the comforts of things. So that's it's interesting to think like we sometimes we don't expect people like that. So I just want like the 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 power of the gospel, but that it can take that that just broke Paul down and completely transformed him. Something else that stood out to me, but is there anything else that um, that stood out to anybody else? Yeah. It's, I count all things but loss for the excellency of Christ. So if this is not helping him pursue Christ or bring others to Christ, he considers it of little or no value. That's very interesting. I also have something, there's a lot of extreme language in it, right? Like, um, think about how extreme this is. Like if I had... If I had something like this in my sermon, you might have, some people might get offended, right? If you're like, you're like, you know what? I was looking at my life and I realized that everything in my life was just a load of, you know, like, it's like I counted it all but dung, which is a nice old English, you know, word for us, right? Like if I came in the, if, if I came on Sunday morning, I'm like, hey, you know, you don't need to look at, people would be like, oh. Oh, I don't know if he should have said that. You know, that was a little crude. Right? This passage is like filled with, I'm not saying he's cursing or using inappropriate language. However, it's extreme language, right? And how he describes, how he describes his former identity, his former life, isn't like, you know, I, because this is, this is the, what you hear all the time. I had everything that the world offered, but I didn't, but something was still missing. That's not really what he's saying here. He's a little more extreme than that. He said, I had everything that the world offered, and it was terrible. It was awful. It was the worst thing you could imagine. And he, he's like, it is to go on the refuse heap. It is to be flushed away so that I can have Christ. Garbage? That's a polite translation. That's not a very literal translation. Um, it's refuse. It's like literally the, the it's waste in the, the way we would think of it as. Yeah. Um, it's the poop emoji. The poop emoji. Yeah, there you go. If you have the emoji version, that's what it would be. So, yeah, and I think that says something about, I don't know, why are there so many 
why are there so many you guys don't you ever scratch your head and wonder why are there so many people that say that they're christians and they start out in the christian life and a few months a few years later and i'm not talking about people that there's a lot of people that struggle they fast faithful and then they come back you know I, I understand that there's people who backslide and then they come back and and, and i get all of that but there's also people that there's a lot of people that claim the name of jesus and then give it a couple years and they just want nothing to do with christianity at all why is that what happened there what happened there and i can't help i can't think that they just they never really got to the point where they understood that coming to christ is not christ is not just saying a prayer or doing a religious experience but in that prayer and in that experience is complete repentance of your old life and completely receiving Christ as your Savior. Like that it's a total transformation. It's careful because we, you can't... And I think this is the line between... There's a distinction. People ask about this repentance. I'm reading in Mark right now, my Bible reading plan. And Jesus came preaching repentance and, and repent of your sin and believe the gospel. And repent can be misexplained to people. Repentance, it could be like, all right, well, you need to repent before you can get saved. That means you need to stop doing all your sins. Well, is that repentance? Well, no, because who could, none of us ever stop doing all of our sins. But it's the, it is the posture towards sin. The posture towards sin as an unbeliever, as an unbeliever, I'm okay with my sin. But if I've truly repented, I turn away from that. It's not that I've been able to be victorious over it, but my posture is that sin and toward Jesus. So God does that work in a person's heart where they, they have a complete transformation of thinking that turns them from being okay with their sin and their former way of life, and now I'm completely believing on Jesus. It's repentance and faith. It's like two sides of the same coin. You're not truly believing if you haven't repented. And if you truly believe, it's because repentance has taken place in your heart. So, again, I'm not judging any one individual person in general, but you have to wonder why so many people that claim the name of Christ and then eventually they completely are gone, was there a true conversion like what Paul experienced, where their identity is completely changed? If man be in Christ, he is a new creature. It looked like there were some hands ready to go up, and then I kept going, so... Maybe you lost the thought. Did somebody have something on that? I have a question. Go ahead. Does this relate to when the young rich guy came to Jesus at night? Yeah. The, well, you're getting two stories t together. Nicodemus came at night, but the, the, you're talking about the rich young ruler yeah. who said, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Yeah. Jesus said, well, keep the law. What's written there? And he gives a couple of commandments. Jesus says, yeah, that's right, but you, there's one more thing you need to do. Go sell everything that you have. And you'll have riches in heaven. And he went away sorrowful because he had great riches. The point of that passage is that you have to sell your possessions to go to heaven. But would you be willing to? <laughs> Jesus is like, well, is your heart really as mean as you thought it was? Was it his faith? I think that's the exact point. I think he's, he's revealing that you think you're a perfect law keeper, but you're a lawbreaker at heart. You're not so perfect. Because you wouldn't be even willing to do this. But yeah, that's the whole idea. Is there a heart of repentance there? So that's where the that's how the gospel it transforms us. So no, you're not going to be perfect. 
neither am I, but there's a new desire. There's a new, um, there's a new grief over our sin. There's a transformation that takes place. And so Paul says, everything that, I, that was gain, I counted but loss. Um, he talks about the excellency of Christ. That was in verse number 8. Verse 9, being found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ. This is where he gets to the like theological matters of the gospel, that we're, we're saved by faith, not by our own works. Yeah. Any other thoughts on this passage? Anything that stood out to you? Well, I think what you just read, seven, eight, nine, particularly seven, it, it begins to really, in his own terms, he's not easy to understand. Um, right. Is the, the process of sanctification. Yeah. And that should happen to all of us as we mature in our faith. We take a look and through God's eyes, we realize, you know what, I'm still holding on to some things. Right. I gotta let them go because right. it will be lost, you know. And Christ is first, mm -hmm. and He's putting Christ first. Right. But it's a process. But that's what sanctification is. Sanctification is saying. not. Sanctification is putting my, putting Christ first, and then my behaviors follow. Sanctification is not changing my behaviors to. to Although it is right, it's like this is it's where do you start? It starts with that relationship with Christ, the power of the gospel, um, and how He works through us and changes us. And then it goes on. It continues. We talked about sanctification last week, so I'm glad you brought that up because He goes on and He says He talks about where it's going. And at verse 12, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. Now his whole identity is now following after Christ. If that I may apprehend, I want to get a hold of what I also am apprehended of Christ. So I want to, I want to get a hold of what Christ has of me because Christ, I want to get a hold of Christ because Christ has got a hold of me. It's kind of the picture here. And brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. In other words, I have not yet arrived. I'm not there yet. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in, in Christ Jesus. I did this study when I was, I don't know, maybe uh, early to mid-20s, this kind of shift in my thinking where I understood this idea that, oh, I'm not supposed to be a good Christian on my own. I'm supposed to let Jesus do it. In that statement, in Christ, or in Jesus, or in Christ, that's positional, so that we do these things in him. I perused all of the Apostle Paul's chapters that we have, all of them, from Romans all the way to Philemon. I think that's the last one, unless you think he wrote Hebrews. But anyway, um, so from Romans to Philemon, I read every chapter. I didn't read, I looked, I scanned them. And I think I only found two chapters where he doesn't make some specific reference to the gospel or being in Christ. Like, and that kind of blew my mind. 
Because even in all of the instruction that Paul gives, he gives a lot of instruction about how we should behave as Christians. If you are familiar with his writings, this is what you should do, this is what you should stop doing, this is what you should do. But the amount of times he says, in Christ, in the Spirit, or he directly references the gospel, it's every single time. And I realized that in all of our Christian living, in all of our Christian teaching, if there's going to be any behavioral change in our life, it has to be related to being in Christ and, the, and what he accomplished on the cross and in his resurrection for us. And that'll change your thinking um, if you really get that. So I'd encourage you, to, if you, if you haven't captured that exactly and how that impacts you, meditate on that a little, little bit. Any thoughts before I move on? Yep. I think those last couple of verses that you read also answers the question why people attend church and then they fall away. Paul writing this 30 years after he became a Christian. Mm. I think what happens is sliding into people's lives is they forget that until you get to heaven, you, you constantly have to be moving forward. You, you reach a certain point in your Christian life, and you have to take, you have to just continue. It's like walking up steps. Yeah, that's a really good point. You have to go to the next step and the next step. Once you get to the point where you just plateau, it's it's usually the beginning of when you start to get down the steps, not, not moving forward. So yeah. Paul says, press on, press on, press on. I mean, he's, he's gone, like I said, 30 years in the ministry here, and he, and he says, not, that, not as though I've already attained, either we're already perfect, but I follow that. So. Yeah, I think most of us would say he's a lot further along than any of us. When he writes this, he's a lot further along than we are. But he keeps taking those steps. That's a really good point because, because the Christian life is about faith. So if you're not taking this, the next step, what are you? There's no faith happening. There's no the, the faith is like a muscle to be exercised, and it atrophies. So you're in. If you're not moving forward in your Christian life, you are. You're moving backward. So that that's yeah, very good. Anything else? Okay. So there's a couple of things. I kind of um, wanted to spend most of our time really in Philippians 3 because I think it's a, a great passage. There were some things from the study notes, though, that I thought were pretty, pretty cool um, in the context of everything we've spoken about. Look at that number one there. The gospel reconciles the conflict of individuality and community. Have you ever thought of that? Like we looked at this modern and traditional identity thing. And, and how the gospel, the message of the gospel, it reconciles the conflict of individuality and community. How do you do that? In what ways? So, like, remember, in modern people, it's all about the individual. Traditional people, it's all about the group that you belong to, what their expectations are. And what does the gospel bring reconciliation to those things? the body of Christ. Yeah, there is both individual value, so within the body of Christ, who is greater than anyone? No one. There's literally no one greater than anyone. Like, and, and that's a big problem with, with Roman Catholicism, and it's also a big problem with a lot of Protestant expressions, where they have a clergy 
and the laity, the clergy and the laity. And like traditionally, like you're familiar with ordination, like the traditional view of ordination, like Baptist people have not believed that as, as most churches have, where you are ordained into the clergy. And now you have the status. Well, in, in biblical churches, your ordination and your ordination only extends as far as that look church, if you, if you follow biblically. Ordain elders, that's the only pattern in the scripture, you ordain elders in every city. Every church had people that were recognized as the leaders of the church, but there's no holy orders, right? I didn't receive holy orders. There's no distinction. In fact, Jesus says, call no man what? Call no man father. There's only one father in heaven. He says in the church, there's neither. Now, that doesn't mean there's not an authority structure set up, but there's no person of greater or lesser value. There's no male, there's no female, there's no bond, there's no free, there's no Jew, there's no Greek, but you're all one in Christ because the individual relationship with Christ. We also believe in what's called the priesthood of the believer, that there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So we go directly to God through Jesus Christ individually. So we have that, so that answers the question. I have, I have one, one true master. You have one true master. But then he gave us the church, which is a community of teaching, authority, and accountability where we give account to one another and we, are, we hold one another to the principles of a life following Christ. So both of these things are reconciled. Any, um, I'll move on from that, but any thoughts on that? Okay. All right. Number two, you think about this. The gospel moves us from floundering to flourishing. It sets us free from other people, but it also sets us free from ourselves. And that's great. Like, ultimately... You read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I, we serve Christ. 1 Corinthians 4 is a great passage on that. We don't judge another man's servant, right? Like, we belong to Jesus. So I am free from others, but, I'm, but, but the world, people want to be. They say, yeah, that's right. I want to be free from other people. And you'll watch this. I've seen this so many times. It's, it's a very cultural highlight. And if I'm preaching a message and I say, biblically, but if I get to a point in the message and I say something like, hey, you know, it doesn't matter what your family thinks about you. It doesn't matter what those people out there say about you. It only matters what the Lord says, says about you. People respond to that. Now, I'm not saying they shouldn't, but I'm saying it's because that is a culturally friendly message right now. There's a song. The song, we sing it here. Um, I am who you say I am, Right? great song but it's a very because that one of the reasons i think it's so popular is because it speaks to a cultural value that actually is in agreement with the gospel which is don't let any other person tell you who you ought to be so i'm not saying it's wrong to sing those but what i'm saying is that part of the gospel is friendly to our culture right now but what is not as friendly to our culture is the gospel sets you free from yourself from who you are. And then we sing another song that's a, a modern, I'm just thinking of modern, some modern hymns. Another modern one that we sing is All I Have is Christ. And that song talks about how I was running my own right race on the way to hell, but Jesus rescued me. So 
both of those things we need to understand. Our culture needs to hear both. The gospel has always done that. Certain parts of the gospel, cultures find attractive, and other parts of the gospel they find not attractive. Why? Because the, Jesus is always pre presenting another way. In some ways, it, it makes us feel validated, but in other ways, it challenges us. So, we're free from others, but we also need to be set free from ourselves, because we are very unreliable. All right. And then the gospel requires us to look to and look for Jesus. We talked about that in, uh, in Philippians. But let's look at these last two verses. Verse, uh, Psalm 34, a great, great passage. I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. Isn't it great? In this gospel identity, if I'm looking to the Lord... I am set free from fear. Totally set free from fear. Then Jeremiah 9. Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Well, for the discussion questions, we already talked about number one. We've already talked about number two, how it's a lifelong process. Most of you have already shared some of that. But let's finish with this third question. And this kind of speaks to the value of this entire study. How does an understanding of these identities help us share Christ with others? How does this help us share Christ with others? Because I think that that's one of the biggest values of even doing this study. Like, I've, I've, Deborah and I were talking, actually, I have heard identity teaching for years now, 10, 15 years. And sometimes I'm like, oh, we've heard it, here it is again. But not everybody has. I realize that. And it's so culturally relevant today that I think it's important. So not, I try not to overdo it. But I do think this is something that speaks to the, to, to the cultural moment where we're at. It's very important. So in what ways does this help us share the gospel with other people? Anybody? Yep. Well, we all have some form of identity, which is in common with everyone. And so... Uh, in this culture right now, at least in the U.S., people love to say what they think their identity is. Right. So it's, it gives you a conversation. It, it, you can participate in the conversation, yeah. for one thing. Yeah. And in what other ways? Yes. Why do you think people are looking for deeper meaning? Um, so, I think you can share it from your own life, how you found meaning in life. Yep. Right, it is a meaning search. Yeah. So how does this help us? How does the understanding this help us? Here's something I've discovered. Most people do not understand why they act the way they do. Have you found that to be true? People are in an autopilot mode. They, like Deborah 
said, they feel that they don't have this meaning. They feel this, but they don't understand. When you take time to do this, if you have a, like, this isn't going to help you, like, witness to a stranger randomly or something. But you have a friend or a coworker, someone that you know that, that have deeper conversations with. This helps you help them understand what their real problem is and what their, what, what is causing this problem in their life. You know, and so if you can have these conversations, if you can understand, and I always appreciate, I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, the Apostle Paul, he always took time to approach the people he was sharing the gospel with. He always took time to approach them from their point of view. When he went to the, speak to the Jews, he opened the Jewish scriptures and he reasoned with them from the Old Testament. When he spoke to the Gentiles, you find his conversations were very different. You find him on Mars talking about, he says, hey, I was walking through when I saw all of your, your worship areas, all of your devotions. I saw all of the gods that you worshipped. And I found this one god called the unknown god. And I want to tell you about him. Isn't that interesting how he approached them? And we're just like, you know, and, and again, I'm not against this, but... He didn't always approach everybody with just a formula. All right, here's the Romans road. Let's walk through it right now. Right? Now, that's good. Please. Like, that was, is a great way to evangelize. I'm, don't misunderstand me. But he also took time to understand, because people have different hang-ups. People have different sins. People have different things that are gripping their hearts. So taking the time to, to do a study like this can help you have those conversations with people. Okay? Any last thoughts as we wrap it up? All right, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the, uh, um, the time that we've had. We thank you for your word. Lord, help us to be courageous and knowledgeable in our witness. Help us to always be ready to answer everyone for the reason of the hope that's in us. Lord, we love you and praise you that we have security and peace and freedom in you. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message... If you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413 662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.